welcome to the show. This is episode number 38 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about some kind of wonderful on your, for God's sake, I'm eating podcast. I'm Andy <laughs> Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. This week we are joined by Elsie Escobar. Elsie runs and hosts She Podcasts, the network for women podcasters, and as the community manager for Libsyn, otherwise known as the podcaster happiness expert, also hosts Libsyn's The Feed. We are honoured to have the newly inducted uh, Academy of Podcasters member join us this week. Elsie, congratulations and welcome to Pop Culture Revived. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much. What a lovely inter- inter- uh, whatever introduction. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, we're really excited to have you on. We invited you a while ago now. Um, and I said, hey, here's this list of films. Do you want to come and talk to us about any of them? And I got this response really quickly of, oh, pretty and pink. I'd love to come and talk to you about that. And then I think before I'd read that, I had another email from you going, some kind of wonderful. I love that film. I want to come and speak to you about that. So. Why is Some Kind of Wonderful so close to your heart? Uh, Because it happened while, like, I was, I think, Watts' age when it came out. Or maybe I was a little younger. Okay. I I think I was, like, 15 or 16 years old at that time. And that film was the first film I ever watched by myself um, at a movie theater. Okay. okay. Because I just fell in love with it so much. I fell in love with her so much. yeah, that that was it. It literally impacted. You know, when you're well, when you're that age, that's the, those are the things that you remember so well. And I've seen studies around. You know, the music that you grew up with, or the music that you l- heard when you were a teenager. That music is forever in your heart. Like it doesn't mm. matter how eloquent or how good it was or whatever. You will never love music as much as you did at that time. <laughs> Yeah, and this it's another film that has a great soundtrack and lots of interesting uses of uh, pop pop songs throughout it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Love it. Right, Mandy, how come you've never seen some kind of wonderful? Well, it's kind of the same reason I never watched any of the other John Hughes movies. I was just really too young when it came out. I mean, I was five in 1987. (laughs) When I finally got interested in teen movies, I thought all these movies from the 80s were just too old and I wasn't interested in any of them. (laughs) Oh, my poor misguided youth. You're learning it all now. I am learning it all now and I enjoy some of it. So I'm I'm really glad we're doing this. So before our conversation, uh, a bit of production information for Some Kind of Wonderful. This is a 1987 romance film from John Hughes, directed by Howard Deutsch. It stars Eric Stoltz, Mary Stuart Masterson and Leah Thompson. The film is a somewhat remake of uh, Pretty in Pink. Hughes did not like the ending of Pretty in Pink, so he rewrote the story as some kind of wonderful, largely gender-flipping the roles in the process. Deutsch returned to direct, having directed Pretty in Pink, although there are stories that he left the production, as he found it impossible to cast the character of Keith. A director called Martha Coolidge replaced him, but she started taking the film in a direction that Hughes didn't like. So she was fired and Deutsch was asked to come back. Uh, There are lots of stories about the people she cast, the fact she wanted this to be a very uh, dialogue light film. It wasn't going to have much uh, speaking at all. It was going to be actually about the, the actions all the characters took. But she was let go very quickly. Okay, interesting. Well, if you haven't seen this movie, and you have seen Pretty in Pink, then you know what this movie's about, because they are, as Matthew <laughs> said, essentially the same, just gender flipped. But IMDb says, uh, when Keith goes out with Amanda, the girl of his dreams, Amanda's ex-boyfriend plans to get back at Keith. 
Meanwhile, Keith's best friend, Tomboy Watts, realizes she has feelings for him. We always like to tell our, our listeners how we watch the film. Uh, Mandy, where was it available for you? Uh, Stars has it on demand in the U.S. So since I pay for Stars, I didn't have to pay extra to rent the movie, which was nice. Excellent. Elsie, uh, do you own this? Have you got access to it somewhere? I do own it. I nice. do own it. It's like the only movie that I actually bought <laughs> from like iTunes because I just occasionally like to remind myself of why. I don't know. Just reminiscing about stuff, you know. So, yeah, I, I own it. <laughs> ah, terrific. It's nice to have a favorite. Um, it was available on Netflix in the UK. For, for once, we actually had a film that we wanted to watch. Yeah, that never happens. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Nothing no. good is on Netflix in the UK. Yeah, lots of gentrified stuff and, and some old Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> so, Mandy, did you have expectations for some kind of wonderful coming into it? I did. When I came into this, my expectations were really super high because after we did Pretty in Pink, everybody started talking about this movie and how this movie was Pretty in Pink done better. And so I thought I was going to love it and I came into it just expecting to be blown away. Okay. And uh, we're returning to John Hughes here. So what's your experience of John Hughes and then the, the main cast members, Eric Stoltz, Mary Stuart Masterson, Leah Thompson? Um, well, you guys have probably all heard my experience with John Hughes. This is the third one that we've done on the show so far. We did Ferris Bueller, Pretty in Pink, and now some kind of wonderful. And I've also seen uh, The Breakfast Club and then some of his more unusual movies that nobody knows are John Hughes movies like Beethoven and Made in Manhattan. Um, Eric Stoltz, I was actually really surprised when I looked at his IMDb listing because I'm very familiar with his face. And it's really just because he's one of those guys who's randomly on TV. You know, he did a stint on Grey's Anatomy. He was on, uh, I don't even remember some of the shows in that list. Um, But I, I haven't seen a lot of movies that he's in. I was surprised by that. Mary Stewart Masterson, I thought I was more familiar with than I was, but it turns out I confused her with Mary Louise Parker. And and so all the movies that I thought were Mary Stewart Masterson were really Mary Louise Parker. So Mary Stewart Masterson, the only thing I've seen is Fried Green Tomatoes, and she's amazing in that. And then Leah Thompson, I just love her. I've kind of followed her on a lot of things, and, and most recently she is the uh, was the mom on Switched at Birth, and she looks exactly the same now as she did in the 80s, which is... Mm-hmm. unfair and infuriating <laughs> <laughs> i i think that's why because i think she's the mom in um back to the future yes. so that's how she's able to play both as a teen and as a, right. an older woman yeah um just to remind us what were your feelings on pretty and pink when we watched it at the time i didn't hate it and i didn't love it it was kind of just okay and then i watched some kind of wonderful and now i really really like pretty and pink <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Okay, that might so might be spoiling the next question. Did you enjoy some kind of oh, wonderful? Oh, I am so sorry, Elsie. <laughs> I did not enjoy some kind of wonderful. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, it's so funny when I uh, when I was reading all of the, your comments, and I was like, "That is so interesting," because we come at it from you know a worldview, a completely mm. different worldview, as well as age wise. You know, and I don't think that I would look back at. Um, when I watched, uh, you know, I've rewatched a couple of the of the other John Hughes movies as well, and I'm kind of surprised by a lot of it. Like when I watched Pretty in Pink again, I was just thinking, like, you know, some like some of Ducky's things, like when he just goes off on her. I was 
and he's just kind of evil to her. I was like, what is that all about? You know, it wasn't really clear to me at that time. And then I started to think about it, you know, and even watching this film as well, um, that you have to also remember that supposedly, I mean, in quotes, these are teenagers (laughs) and it's, they're supposed, they're actually, they're teenagers. And I mean, when you behave, like this is tame to what you're looking at the teenage movies coming out nowadays. Right. Mm. You know, like the teenage movies that are out now are, oh my God, where I'm, I'm, I am fearful of my little girls coming into some of the films that are coming out that are aimed at their age. This is like so tame. (laughs) So that's why I was like, oh, that's so sweet. No, I can understand that. And honestly, I think if I had watched this movie 20 years ago, I would have really liked it. I'm just coming at it from a 2017 worldview, which just makes it very different. And you're coming at it with nostalgia and sentimentality. Exactly. And then that's what it is. And, and, And after, you know, I saw questions about I'm sure that you guys will talk about this a lot too, as we move through the conversation and moving through for me I think the poignant things that started to 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 really that that were really deep into me were everything that has to do with economic status was very front and center in my life everything that had to do with not fitting in um as as most teenagers feel you know um that was really front and center in my life and also the ability for, especially at that time, uh, you know, it's so weird because I was always or have always been, uh, I guess, judged or maybe that's a word, prof- profiled, if you will, by the way that I look. Right. I happen to have a specific look that is pleasing to the eye and therefore I'm categorized in a specific place. But my, but I, but I always rebelled against that. And I always didn't want that to be the leading thing. So for me, Watts was such a refreshing character that I hadn't ever had. And like, I, I didn't know, I didn't see her represented other than in Breakfast Club with what is her, what is the one with the dandruff? I love her too. Like I fell, like I, I fall in love with her because I think she's just incredible. Like that's who, that's who I aspire to be. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like that's who I wanted to be. That's who resonated with me. And Watts resonated with me in a big, big way. As Obviously, as a 16 or 15-year-old. Okay, well, let's jump into our conversation. And do we want to start with Watts or do we want to wait and talk about Watts at the end? Because I think that's going to be the most divisive of our conversations today. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) So... Set up top, there's the three main characters to this. Um, and we, we have Keith, who is central to it all. He's the one driving everything, and it's all about his decisions on college and the girls. Um, and then his interactions with, you, you commented on these people in the inverted commas, teenagers. Those bullies are not teenagers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the rough kids are the oldest looking high school kids I've seen in a long time. I know. They might oh as well God, be on Buffy. Like... <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. My big question coming out of it is Keith's plan, his his thing of, uh, I'm going to spend all my money and take this girl out on this this really strange date, not even like a really glamorous date. It's it's a bit bizarre, and then give her these diamonds, but she's still not interested in me in me anyway. Do, do either of you have more idea on what his plan is here? I'm actually really glad you asked this question because I had the same question. I couldn't figure out what his end game was supposed to be, because. 
at the time, he thought Amanda was in on it. And so he was, it mm. came across as if he was trying to play both Amanda and Hardy with this giant plan. But at the end of the day, he just took her out on a really fun date and spent all of his money on her. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Uh, Elsie, did, did you have any thoughts about this? Do you know what he was trying to accomplish? I think part of it is just, it was a, and again, going back to the teenage thing, I think part of it was very self-serving for him, you know, and of course to come because he'd never had the opportunity to do that. He'd never had the opportunity to go to this like super nice restaurant and take a girl out. He'd never had the opportunity to get like a museum and make it super, super fancy because of the divisiveness of the economic statuses for both places. So there was a certain sort of like, um, I'm going to throw it in your face that I, me, tiny little Keith dude who is like, you know, who has no money can actually do this. And it was sort of like here, I, I am worthy. It was it was his way of showing his worthiness, um, that he is capable of doing it. Uh, and so everything was embodied inside of those earrings. You know, it was sort of like, I'm going to give this away to you because number one, money doesn't matter to me as much as it does to you. And I'm going to show you how I give this up. Right. I think that makes perfect sense there. But (laughs) and maybe this is just a continuity issue in the movie. But in the movie, he told his dad he was going to get all the money back. I know he did. That's why when when he said that, I was like, how are you going to do that? If all the money really went into those earrings and he gave them away, even at the end, he didn't keep them. You know, she gave them back and then he turns around and gives them to Watts. So how it, it just didn't make sense to me. And but maybe that's just a continuity issue. I think what it might have been, too, is that. There was a, I I think what happened with Keith is his recognition of the possibilities that he had, meaning that when he said, I'm going to make the money back, he was saying, I'm capable of making a living for myself, you know, dad. I'm, I'm capable of, you know, selling my art. I'm capable of, of, of continuing to do what I'm doing to earn money. It's not going to go away. So it was sort of like the belief that just because it's gone now, it doesn't mean that now you're, you don't have the money anymore. I've made it. I'm going to work that hard and make it again. Okay. I can buy that. That's what I, you know, that's what like that's what, that's what I figured from when I saw that. Cause I was like, is he, does he have like a, all of a sudden a, a job that's going <laughs> to give him a lot more money? Mm. But then I thought when I, when I kind of sat with that for a moment, I thought, oh, it probably has to do with. With this, his own belief in himself that it's not over because he can't go to, you know, college or at that time, you know, because his dad still wants him to do that, that he'll make the money. Yeah, I, I actually really like that. I hadn't thought that it's not that he's looking to woo her with this, which is the, the way I, right. I perceived it. He's actually going, money doesn't matter to me. And it's almost getting rid of his options. I don't want to go to college. So that gets rid of the college thing. And I don't think you and I are going to be together, but I'm at least going to make myself happy doing these things. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, as a take I, on it. Mm, I will say, Matthew, I know you said that it was a really strange and weird kind of date. I would be all about that date if somebody did that for me. I'm just oh, saying, really? yeah, that, I think that was perfect. <laughs> oh my God, I would totally. I'll be yeah. Like, <laughs> that was so good. I, you know, and, and I think now that I keep thinking about it, because I was like, my God, he is doing this whole thing. And there was an element of, because he's so sweet. Like, Keith is such a sweet, like, he's just such a sweetie. His <laughs> whole face is sweet. All the time, he's sweet. 
you know, and I'm like, oh my God. And I think that there's like a total passive aggressive thing happening here where it's like, I'm going to like basically put her face in this, you know, that you, you can't, you essentially can't have this, or this is something that is that you, you know, one of the lines, what he says that it's like, I want you to know that you're, you, what did he say? Like that you are worth it or something like that. When he gave her the earrings that you don't have to borrow anybody else's mm. stuff. And I thought like, wow, that's, you know, that's a really powerful teaching. I mean, just in that. And I think that as he was doing this date, I feel that's what, that's the point he was bringing home for himself as well. It was sort of like his own recognition that he was also worth it, that he was also capable of this. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, and that moment of him telling her, you know, you don't have to borrow these things, you you deserve it, you're a great person, that lands much better for me than when he tells her she should smile more. Uh, and I think it's just because oh. that's the stereotypical, you know, patriarchal yeah. thing men say to women. But when he said that, I was like, oh, no, don't say those <laughs> words, please. <laughs> oh, see, and I give him a pass for that line just because I didn't see it as a, a patriarchal kind of you need to smile because you're a woman and that's what women are supposed to do kind of line. It was just, you know, he made her smile and it made her light up and be happy. And I think that's. That's what he was talking about there. And so for me, I just, I was yeah, able to give him a pass true. there. Yeah. In fact, like, when you said that, I'm like, when did he say that? And then I was like, oh yeah. When there was, yeah. <laughs> so then it kind of was, it was sort of, um, yeah, it was done in kindness. So I, yeah, I do give him a, a pass for okay. that. I think he said something before that though, that I was like, I forgot when it was. Gosh, like, oh, I wish I could remember. But he did some, say something where I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't just say that. I can't remember what it was, though. Bummer. On the date, there's obviously the bit where she sees the painting that he's done of her. And and there was someone on Twitter who was asking, is, is this weird or is it very cute? Um, or is it a really nice thing? I, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest with you, for me. Would you like that on a date if you turned out this guy had done this really immaculate painting of you? I think in that setting, I probably would have been floored, okay. you know, because... <laughs> If it's like if I'm in the middle of the art museum and there's this guy's taking me out, you know, and he's he's not super creepy. So that's really Keith has like that mm. going for him. You know, I'm going on yeah. a date with him. He's he's actually very sweet. He's he's totally not threatening, non-threatening. And so walking around having this conversation and seeing this this painting of me and I I I actually really like that painting. It's very I think it captures everything that she is. It captures her light and her beauty. And at the same time, it's juxtaposed in this wall that is all graffiti. And so it's like all this graffiti stuff. And I thought that is actually what she is. She's sort of like on, on, on the fence, if you will, or in between worlds in a way where there's also a sense of nostalgia and sadness behind her eyes. And so I really liked the painting. I think I think when I w- if I if it would have been me, I probably would have started crying during that time because <laughs> what I what I thought is holy crap somebody this is this is my thought somebody saw me right somebody actually saw me okay wow <laughs> that's like that's what I would have said but although it is a little bit you know freaky as well in terms of the date but I was so captured with the moment so. <laughs> I think for me, it depends on whose perspective we're looking at it from. I mean, from Amanda's perspective, she's on a really romantic date. She has no idea that Keith has ulterior motives here at this point. 
And so from her perspective, I think it's supposed to be this like romantic kind of declaration sort of thing, which I think is really great. But coming from the viewer's perspective where we know that Keith thinks that Amanda is planning to have him beat up by Hardy at at the party. We know that he's not actually declaring his love for her anymore because he kind of really doesn't like her like that anymore. It does kind of come across as creepy, I think. Yeah, and and you know what what kind of lessened the creepy aspect of that for me is the fact that he's been working on this for so long. Right. I mean, he didn't just do it. Mm. Like, yeah. you know, he didn't just like all of a sudden whip up this <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, he's been, I mean, for the most part, I think that they had a, at least they had the one scene where, where, um, oh, what's his name? Hardy. Hardy. Hardy? Yeah. Hardy. Yeah. Hardy comes in, you know, and he's painting her and uh, it's obvious he like, you know, hides the painting when mm. he comes to talk, to talk to him and stuff. And I have a feeling he's been, he, again, he's been capturing this image for quite a while and. I understand the creepy aspect of it, especially because of the sense of where Keith is coming from. And again, going to what I said before, what he wants to do, this is essentially also Keith capturing everything everything he he can at the moment as an artist inside of a painting. She, Amanda Jones is his muse. Uh, Amanda Jones is, it represents so much for him and has for so long. And then all of a sudden there's this big, huge change around what his muse is at that moment. As a, and as an artist, though, he did a fantastic job capturing that of, as a character. What is he going to do with that? Um, but there's, there also is a sense of pride because, he's an, because this is like – he is. I mean, he said that's his church. When he walked in there, he said, this is where I come when, I, you know, when the world is essentially beating down on me. And imagine the feeling of being able to put your your magic, you know, art project or whatever mm. inside of the museum. And because that's a tough, I mean, as an artist, to be able to put that on a wall and show somebody else that, that's a whole other thing. And he's showing his subject, mm. which is a whole right. other, you know, yeah. thing. So. I think that as as creepy as the as the creepy factor <laughs> aspect of it, especially with the neg like the evil side of Keith, because he's not really doing it for the most positive of reasons. There's also a sense of pride that comes from it as well. That again, I'm trying to show this woman who embodies everything I hate or everything that has put me down or all the lies that I have, you know, that have been told to me. All, and now I'm going to show her I am worthy of being in this museum. And, she, you know, she just happens to be his muse. There, there was a really nice behind-the-scenes thing that I read about the picture. This is the film where the director, Howard Deutsch, uh, met Leia Thompson. And they've been married since only a couple of years after this. But he had such a crush on her during the filming that he kept having pictures made. And apparently, apparently there's like oh 20 gosh. of the pictures <laughs> And there was a lo- lovely quote from her along the lines of like, yeah, people occasionally go on the like backstage props tour at Paramount or something and keep saying like, hey, there's loads of pictures of you in there. <laughs> oh my God, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> so the thing of like the, the, the doing of the picture, it almost has a, an extra resonance because it is a painting of her from someone who has a thing for yeah. her. Um, so we move into Amanda. 
I think is the next one. The uh, richer girl, but she she has a, a lot of depth to her, I think. There's a lot of different things in the way she interacts with her friends, with her somewhat boyfriend, and then with Keith as well. Mandy, I think I think she not necessarily resonated with you more than anything else, but appealed to you more than the other characters. She did. Amanda was my favorite character, I think. Well, okay, besides, besides Duncan. But um, I, Amanda, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Amanda had the biggest character arc in the movie. Um, she's the one that I could relate to the most because I understood where she was coming from and where she was going. And I didn't really get that from anybody else. And I really appreciated that she was somebody who was kind of, I think like Elsie said earlier, she's kind of in the middle. You know, she's she's not as rich as Shane and Hardy. You know, she has to borrow her diamond earrings. She doesn't own any herself. You know, but she still kind of gets to live in this world because that's where her friends are. And she is learning throughout the course of this movie that, you know, just because these people have that economic status doesn't mean they're the best people. You know, she learns that that Hardy can't be trusted. And even though he's supposedly this great catch, you know, she makes up her own mind about him and she stands up for herself. And I really just appreciated that about her. Yeah, she has a, um, she is very appealing to me too. I did not like Amanda. You know, I I thought that, um, the the thing is, I could not relate to Amanda at all. Um, Even, I just was like, oh, she's a very nice girl. And I I thought that she was a great character. But um, even now, I don't relate to Amanda. Um, because she does come like she is like she, for me, she embodies things that I never was that in my heart. And, um, so then like watching her kind of, I I don't know, I guess, you know what it was. It's like, I'd never made decisions based upon how many, how much money somebody has. And I felt that that was actually a deal break always has always been a deal breaker for me. Hmm. And so when I saw her make these decisions with Hardy from the get go and like, he's just such an but and so like some of the things he says I'm like oh my gosh what yeah (laughs) you know what I mean and then just to see like I'm not sure how you could put up with that day in and day out with that kind of sort of gaslighting because he was so in her face Mm -hmm. you know where it was like oh you didn't just see that (laughs) that's like um we all saw it. It's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like crazy. So with that kind of stuff, and um, I, I'm not sure what what she was getting from that. So I get I get all of that. And I also do appreciate her arc. I mean, her she, she does have the largest arc in the, in, in the movie. And I feel that she can achieve so much. Like towards the end, I really do hope she continues to stand on her own two feet. I hope that it that she continues on that. I hope that the date, you know, with the things that Keith said to her or she experienced or maybe saw herself in this from from some a kinder eyes, you know, kinder eyes mm. that she's able to make these choices for herself. Um so yeah, I did a, I thought she was a very uh, well um executed character and she did a fantastic job at it as well because she was also kind, and I and I really appreciate the the kind um, character interactions that she had, and um, because when she's juxtaposed with everybody else, it's just like, ugh, 
it just seems like she doesn't even belong there either. You know, right. she was never mean so. to anybody. She was she never looked down on anybody no, or judged wasn't. anybody. And nope. even I mean, she was conflicted when her friends were telling her, oh, you can't go out with Keith. You can't go out with Keith. And you could tell she genuinely did not want to hurt his feelings. And, and she was trying to be kind. And you don't often mm-hmm. see that when you've got this kind of like class difference. You usually get the people like Shane yeah. and Hardy and then you get Keith and Watts and you don't really have that person who bridges it the way Amanda did in this movie. Yeah, I, I, I totally. Yep, absolutely. I mean, there were a lot of a lot of little subtle things that she did. And I think she had some great lines. You know, she had a lot of really wonderful. I think the dialogue between Keith and Amanda in that date is very good. There's a lot of, I think what Keith represented to her, and I feel that this is, because, you know, I, I, I totally believe that um, Hardy was psychologically abusive to her. So mm. she didn't really had an opportunity to ever really speak up because he always shuts her down. He essentially is like, that's not what you're thinking. This is not what right. your thoughts are. <laughs> the whole time, that's what he says. So when he, when she's with Keith, she had an opportunity to verbalize her feelings and to say like, well, what do you think you're doing to me right now? Or this is, you know, when when they were there in the restaurant and she's like, I'm going to, I'm just going to go. This is, this is so not cool, you know? And you can see that Keith, um, as much as he is challenging her, he's also listening to her and he doesn't, he wants to have a dialogue with her. He wants to talk. He, he doesn't, then bring it back up and, and deny her feelings. He doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't be mad. You know, this is not, you know, he, he essentially owns up to a lot of that, especially when she says, you know, when he gives her the earrings like in that scene where, you know, he, he essentially says, you're right, I was using you as well. After she opens up about all that, about, you, you know, she calls him on it. And I think that those are the first times she's ever spoken up in this way and not been dismissed and been like, well, that's not true or you shouldn't feel that way or you're crazy. Um, But she, he, he he said like, you're right. I, I was, and I'm sorry. That to me was like, I think that that was a big change for her because then she's able to see like, wow, there are, I can have a dialogue with somebody and (laughs) I can speak my mind and I can do all these things that I'm capable as myself. Right. I think that her experiences with Keith that night are really what empowered her to be able to walk away from Hardy and even at the party slap him the mm-hmm. way that she did, which I, I love yeah. that moment. I wish she had punched him mm. instead of slapped him, though. But that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm too violent. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but she even yeah. owns it, doesn't she? She says, I wish I could just walk away. Right. But no. Yeah. <laughs> this guy deserves some yeah. violence. There isn't anything I can do to him that he hasn't already done to himself. I wish I could live with that. And then this, I love that she does it twice. You know, because at first it's like, I was like, oh, yes. And then I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. that was awesome. Two yeah. times. I mean, yeah. she owned it. And I really like that about her. I mean, because yeah. the Amanda at the beginning where she's sitting in the car with Hardy and Hardy calls her his property. And she just sits there silently. Yes. I oh mean, there's God. such a difference between that Amanda and the Amanda that slaps him at the end. And I, I love it. Yeah. There's a couple of things there that I th- I think that the only time that I was really kind of angry with her, it, it was, you know, with the Hardy thing, I don't, I, I kind of give her a pass to some degree because as women, sometimes we do get in these relationships and 
Um, you know, our society sort of is okay with a lot of that. Um, and then, but one thing that I really, I think as women as well is that I wasn't okay with, and, and this is, and I, maybe it's because of the times is when she got herself out of detention <laughs> right. and doing that whole, like, you know, flirty thing. And it's just, to me, I feel that that's really demeaning because if you're trying to move away from something like why, why do you have to flirt yourself out of it? You know, it's. And and that's what and I know that that's what she's been relying on for a long time. And this this is it's essentially that's her mo. That's the way she moves through the world. And so it's nice to see that there's been a shift. That was the only time that I was like, why does she have to do that? She doesn't have to because I do believe Amanda's smart. I think she's got like, I don't think that she's just coasting through high school. So she could have, you know done a, done it differently. I think that if it would have been written that way in, a, in another way that she was able to get out of detention by, I don't know, doing something about school or, you, you know, doing something that had less to do with how cute she is and her flirtatiousness, I would have been like all in. Yeah, it would have been completely <laughs> believable if she had just said, you know, this is a first offense for me and I promise I'll never do it again. Can I yeah. not have detention? He probably exactly. would have let her out, you know, just because we can yep. see that she's totally. smart and she is capable and she comes across that way. She did not have to like lower herself to that level. And that was definitely an eye rolling moment for me too. But I, I think part mm. of that is just yeah. the timing. Cause this was what, 1987 ish. Yes. Yes, totally. I and I get it, you know, and like, and that, yeah, to- I totally, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a really nice contract contrast between her and Watts because Watts is the one who even has the line it's 1987 women can be whatever they want to be yes so she's already got some of that confidence and empowerment right and like you say Amanda is trading on her her looks and her cuteness but I I really like your point that she's kind because yeah even to Watts she she never hassles her or, or goads her at all. And Watts is ready to, to go at this girl, I think, particularly when she takes her out on the date. And she's like... Look at your skag and let's roll. <laughs> she really like, does not want to be there, but also wouldn't be anywhere else. Right. <laughs> and it would be yep. so easy for that to devolve into a fight, some sort of, you know, the typical cattiness that gets written. Um, but they do keep that character quite consistent, which is really good. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I I really appreciated even those interactions. Mm. And Amanda really just, you know, I think that she did, for the most part, she errs on the side of keeping her mouth shut versus Mm. just going off. That we see. Her friends, however, are not very nice. And that that locker room scene with what's looking at Amanda and then her friends suddenly start being like, hey, are they men's underwear? Like, yeah, they look comfy, though. I'd wear them. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, dude, I have a... I used to wear men's underwear when I was in high school as well. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there was so much about, um, at that time, like, that's what I wanted. I wore, you know, I have, I, I didn't wear them, like, I wore them on top of my own panties, but I did wear them. I wore, I mean, I was all in with Watts. I mean, not mm. that I wore them because she was wearing them in, in, at that time. But I, I actually got my hair cut just like Watts. I oh, had really? always <laughs> had really, really long hair. And then I got my hair cut completely short when I, I think it was like when I came back. It must have been, I, gosh, I, it must have been that same exact year. 
Really? Oh my gosh. <laughs> when I came back to school when I was a sophomore, I cut my hair completely off. It was like totally long and it was gone. Um, so by the time I turned 15, I think it was like it was gone. So it was really impactful for me to be able to let go of that because I thought I don't want I don't want somebody to just judge me based upon the way that I looked. And I wore the same mm. type of clothes, big baggy pants, very androgynous looking, very non calling attention to my body on purpose. And, you know, my family was the type that couldn't afford most of the stuff. In fact, I handmade my, um, like I used to wear, I used to play um, sports mm. and in the United States, there's varsity, which in varsity sports are sort of like the, like, you, you know, like the, I guess, more professional <laughs> within a high school. Okay. And mm-hmm. I was, I was always playing on the varsity teams and um, you get a varsity jacket, which is what you see in a lot of these movies. You know, most like the jock guy mm-hmm. is always wearing that jacket with a big letter on it. Well, mm-hmm. those jackets are very expensive. And I was, uh, my family could not afford to buy me it. So I uh, went to a thrift store and I bought myself a jean bomber jacket and I put my letter on that and I created my own. I hand lettered, I embroidered my last name on the back oh. of my jacket and that's what I would wear. So I was constantly s- sticking out in every single way that I possibly could. Uh, and so that's why Watts was like totally resonant with me. Because I was like, that's that's who I am. Finally, <laughs> somebody somebody like me. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific, and, and it's one of the best things when we hear of people seeing something, not even necessarily re- uh, representation, but someone resonate like that and mean something to them. Um, it's one of the great things yeah. about watching movies and TV and stuff. It helps you understand your story, and yeah, fab. Totally. That that locker room scene. <laughs> I got a little confused because yeah. the shots of Leah Thompson, like when I heard about the director falling yeah. in love with her, I, it understands a bit more. But it's probably the most male gaze I've ever seen in any film ever. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, it's a very long. After I was, I was like, oh my God, she looks so great too. And I was just thinking like, as an actor, as a past actor, I was like, how long does she have to do that? <laughs> yeah. Because it's just so awkward or, you know what I mean? Because who does that? I don't know that I ever did my hair in the locker room like right. that. Yeah. In a vest, one <laughs> foot up on the bench and all that. Yeah. But the, the fact it was Watts looking at her, I was like, is this going to be the Watts' into her as well? Because I'm behind yeah. that story. That would be a, a much more modern take on this. It would be like totally unexpected. It would have been. But actually, I could totally see the feeling of awkwardness. Like she's got that mm. and I don't. You know, like I'm, I'm not that at all. Wow. You know, because I know that there's been like that kind of gazing from me when I see somebody that I aspire to, or you think they have a good body as a woman. Mm. It's like, whoa, uh, that's all. And then I think for, at least for me, it was always like, well, I don't have that. Wow. No. (laughs) I mean, so it's like, whoa. And that's why there's the whole, like she touches her belly Mm -hmm. and she kind of like, sees herself in her outfit which is diametrically opposed to what what she's wearing you know she doesn't wear a bra she wears like underwear from her i don't know i don't know if if she shared it from her brothers and she just grabbed her underwear (laughs) which is kind of gross but um you know what i'm saying is like she doesn't have that ability it seems she doesn't have a female figure that can show her 
any kind of femininity in her life. Yeah, I think the intention there was to have Watts looking at Amanda in kind of, I'm going to say a longing way, but not because she wants Amanda, but because she kind of wants what Amanda has because Keith wants what Amanda has. Yeah. And she's in love with Keith. Mm -hmm. And so she's looking at Amanda like, well, why can't I look like that? Or why is that what Keith wants as opposed to me? And I just think the execution on it failed because it did come across so male gazy. You know, my first thought was, okay, does she want Amanda? Like, that doesn't make sense with the story that they're telling us, but that's kind of what they're showing us. But I don't think that mm. was the intention. Yeah, it's so funny. That never came into my head. But I, I wonder if it's building on the way it's occurred to us is it's building on Duncan earlier saying, aren't you a lesbian? And yeah, just the two things coming, uh, you know, in the same film like that. But who knows? I think what kept coming to me in terms of that is that we were like, again, I was more of a tomboy. I always aligned myself more with being a tomboy and and of of standing out via my prowess in athleticism and via the grades that I got in school. And I happened to look a specific way. And so I really rebelled against that. I really rebelled Mm. against the way I looked. So making myself more androgynous kind of took the sexuality out of it. And so I felt at that time being a teenager – because there's so much of sex thrown in your face when you're a teenager. It's mm-hmm. like, it's the thing. And I really didn't feel that that was something I personally wanted to step into. I didn't think it was empowering. I didn't feel that it was, um, you know, I had very, my dreams in terms of finding the one were very solid. And so I just thought like, why must I be wearing these outfits? So when I saw that scene, it was one of those things where it was like there was a sense of longing, of course, in terms of like the way that, uh, not like the way that Mandy just said, yeah, like yeah. not like as in like <laughs> I want to, you know, get in her panties, but it, just in the sense that like, wow, she's she can own that and the feeling that you have as a woman to be able to be fully who you are in your beauty. And at the same time, this sort of like, are my choices okay then? Is mm. me choosing not to do that okay? And I think that that's what that, you know, with Watts, it goes back and forth with that where it's like she is who she is. She's always been who she is. And it feels at that time that society is pushing her to be more feminine when she doesn't want to be. She just wants to be the way she is. And so I think that there's that, that that dichotomy that keeps coming up. Like, should I, should I do that? Is that what I have to do to like have the guy check me out? You know that kind of yeah. stuff. I feel like it might be time for me to give my very controversial opinion on Watts now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know controversial. <laughs> okay. So I I feel very differently about Watts. I think than anybody else who has ever seen this movie and I completely understand where you're coming from I and I I can see what you're saying and I think for me because I I have not personally related to the kind of character that Watts is supposed to be that I wasn't able to draw conclusions that they wanted us to draw without giving us any evidence for them I think because when I look at Watts I don't really see her as being a whole character. 
she's to me she's kind of a like a cardboard cutout she has no agency she has no opinions of her own she's very reactionary and the only thing that I know about her other than she loves to drum is that she loves Keith but I don't know why she loves Keith I only know that she loves Keith because she basically cried throughout the whole movie and so I can't figure out why I'm supposed to be rooting for her based on what the movie is telling me now I know that the movie wants me to root for her that's very clear I just I couldn't figure out why based on what was actually in the movie does that make sense no, yeah, I can I can see that. And you know, when you when I read your notes too and I rewatched the movie, I I had that in mind and I was like there is a lot that is inferred. Like I got like I I think that, you know, my understanding of Watts was instinctual and I got all the stuff I was supposed to get kind right. of thing where there was just such a depth of understanding of Keith. Like, I don't even know where I'm coming with this stuff, seriously. Because after watching the movie, there you're right. There's no evidence of this. But here's what I got. <laughs> just from, like, it's like, there's been an intimate relationship between them for quite a long time. He, You know, they have been together through thick and thin. Um, he has essentially represented a place where, you know, they, they kind of meet in the middle. He never judges her, and they get an opportunity to ha- just be together. Um, also, she doesn't really have a very good home life, as you can kind of infer, again, from some of the things that are being said as to, like, you know, does she ever eat at home? Or, you know, don't you ever eat at home? And, and you know, her brothers don't know that she's playing drums inside of that garage, and it looks like she doesn't really even care. Um and nobody really is looking out for her. And it seems like Keith is sort of like the place that this right. happens, right? That they're together. And, you know, in that respect, I, that's what I got from, from her there. And there was a awakening in terms of her recognition of her love for Keith as something more than just like her best friend uh, that, has, that had sort of started when the movie began. Those are the things that I just took for granted. <laughs> so I didn't like, you know, nobody said these things to me or, or like it's not in the script at all. Uh, and it was really just for me and her interaction. And in terms of her agency, you know, she gives them straight up what it is. It's like the things that she cares for. And I think she really does that when she stays it, states it. She states it in order of like importance for her. The only things I care about in this goddamn life are me and my drums and you. And so for me, it's like she at this moment wants and needs to survive is her number one thing. She needs to survive. She is in a position right now where you don't she I don't know what her home life is about. I don't know if it's abusive. I don't know if her brothers are not if she's completely neglected or what kind of family she has. She does all you know is that she needs to survive she needs to take care of herself and she has always done that and the second thing is her drums she loves drumming from the beginning you could see that she loves to sit behind those drums that's like that's what makes her kind of rock to me in terms of like I mean pulse in her life and then she's found this like then she's got her one relationship (laughs) that is like an in-depth relationship that she moves through in that it's sort of like, and it's now kind of morphing into something more. So that's how I know, like, and in terms of, of, of why, and obviously her arc isn't that necessarily strong because she kind of sticks, she kind of stays in the same passive-aggressive sort of never really speaking up 
role the entire time and kind of just stepping in the background and hoping you know things work out but what I really think that I really do feel that she does have dreams and she has but first she has to make sure that she takes care of herself and she's a musician she wants to continue playing drums that's what I right. saw anyway I guess I just wish that her character had been written more strongly I mean so yeah so the issues I'm seeing that. are with the with the writing of the movie really more than anything else because mm-hmm. it is clear that the movie wants you to root for her, that the movie wants you to infer all of these things. I just think the movie didn't do a very good job of telling me why that's what I should do, you know? And and mm-hmm. I just, now that we've been doing this show and we I've been watching so many movies kind of more critically, I don't take as many things at face value as I used to, <laughs> which might be a, a bad mm-hmm. thing. I don't know. Um, and so I just I was really struggling with that. And and I know that I'm so in the minority on that. I mean, when when I asked on Twitter, if anybody, uh, if people were Team Watts or Team Amanda, you know, the answers that I got consistently across the board were Team Watts. Why would anybody ever be Team Amanda? You know, and 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 my if you look at my thoughts, Doc, my next to last thought is this is wrong. I'm totally Team Amanda. You know, and now that I've had some time to percolate on it, I, I'm really uh, team no one. Uh, and I'm going to steal that from, from our friend Vivian, who said that she thought she was probably team no one for this one, too. And that's really just because I think Amanda needs to be alone for a little while. And so Amanda doesn't need to be yeah. with Keith. Like, I would rather Keith be with Amanda than Watts, but Amanda doesn't need to be with Keith. And so I'm going to be like team no one. Yeah. It's it's interesting to see, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because watching that whole thing unfold there's moments I don't know what's going to happen with Keith and Watts you know like I don't know if there's going to be an evolution that happens with that because um, there is a a sense of again maturity from both of those from like Keith and Watts that is they're in a different level Watts has to work through a lot she has a lot more gap baggage right you know she has a lot more baggage and you don't know what type of baggage she's dealing with either again because of her you know, what's going on with her at home. Um, she has to process a lot of stuff. And I can see, I mean, you can see she is set up in most of, the, most of the movie. Her interactions with people are essentially aggressive. And she's constantly having to stand up for herself. It's going to take her a while to be in a situation where she doesn't have to feel defensive. And she doesn't have to feel reactionary because it feels that the entire world has always done that, though. It's like she didn't have a positive reaction with almost anybody except that weird... (laughs) That dude that was pushing her car. Poor guy. But, um, you know, (laughs) that's so funny. But it's like, you know, most of the most of the things, it's like people look at her and essentially just dismiss her. She's she's a non entity if you will for a lot of people and constantly being called names and um i don't know feeling making being that she's less than in some way so she does have a lot of work to do so i don't know how good that relationship is gonna be (laughs) but i still root for what no i mean i i do i totally get it i do i just i couldn't see it that way um and, and one last issue I had with the writing as far as Watts goes was the very end when she takes the earrings. Um, there, there's kind of two competing things going on there for me. One, I don't think Watts would have ever wanted those earrings. She wouldn't have worn those earrings because that's just out of character for her. She's we, We've already seen yeah, she's is. not that kind of girl. You know, she 
they refer to her as a tomboy over and over and over again in the movie. And so I feel like by making her want those earrings, they're making her be a little bit more like Amanda. And I don't like that. But on the other hand, I also, I didn't like that, that she basically said, well, I hoped I get them. You know, I thought I might get them. Because that's not true either. You know, she had, she wanted Keith to want her, but she never had any indication that he did or that he would because he was so 100% into Amanda. And so I just felt like that was inappropriate and, and didn't really fit in with the rest of the movie. It just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think that there was a transition there that I felt like that was a little hard to swallow. And I remember the first time that I saw that, too. It was like, again, putting myself in Watts' shoes and and sort of like feeling like I'm more like her than anybody else. When I saw that, when when she said I really wanted those... I was like, I didn't really want those. <laughs> right. You know, like there was a feeling of like, I wouldn't have wanted those. Like I, I, that's not something that I would have wanted. I could have seen her like putting the earrings on like one of her top ears, like uh, ear holes, like mm-hmm. way at the top. Cause I think that that would have been more in character because it would have been, it, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, um, I just thought that there was a sense of, you're right. I didn't quite sure. I could understand, I could understand why she would want them like, as um as w- w- for what right. they represented, right? That he went out and he spent this money and it was love, right? Just in terms of like how love shows itself up for uh, in a lot of movies as jewelry in some way because we put so much stock on the representation of love in ju- as jewelry. So in that respect, I could see I wanted something like this, you know, like like a piece of jewelry that you gave to me. Right. I could see that. But I but you're right. It, I think it was a really crazy shift. Um and I yeah, I hoped that I would get them is what she said, I think something like that. Mm. I really wanted them or I hoped it, like something like that. And I just thought like Oh, I kind of believe that. Yeah, I feel like, <laughs> honestly, I just feel like it's sloppy writing because they're telling us that they're suddenly, miraculously, hopelessly in love with each other. And it literally happened over the span of right. five seconds, at least for Keith, you know. And so I think you're right. It was the transition that was just really weird there. And and so for me, I feel like that's just sloppy writing and they could have done it better. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's, what's interesting is the feeling of uh, the feeling of I think the intimacy that they both have is present because that that has that is something that I could understand. But I feel that you're right. It was there could have added a little bit, a little bit something else. I'd love to see if there's some like, you know, scenes that were cut <sighs> out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting to see. OK, what I would like to talk about is some of our favorite moments from this film. Elsie, it sounds like you've got quite a few that you just have a general love for it. So is there anything that stands out to you that you go, I love this smaller character or this moment or this performance? Oh, well, I think Duncan is by far my favorite. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just such a wonderful character. I mean, I just fell in love with him from the beginning. He just makes me laugh. And I think one of my favorite scenes is, I don't know exactly when this happens, but it's in the last scene where he puts his head on Mm -hmm. Amanda's shoulder. I just yeah. Yeah. love that. <laughs> when he does that, it's just so cute. 
And she just looks at him and is like, it feels to me that he did that impromptu, like mm-hmm. that she was sort of like not ready for it either. And then she's just like, oh, my God, hi. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so awesome. I love everything he's in. Like those are some of my favorite scenes or anything he's in. <laughs> yeah, he's utterly confident in every scene and just the, the most yes. magnetic thing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He's an amazing actor. Like, I remember that was my first, um, that was the first time I've ever seen Elias Coteas. And um, the first time that I've ever seen him, and I've seen him uh, from then on, he has always been Duncan in my head. Because, I again, I watched him this when I was super young. So every time I see him, he I first, again, always go back to some kind of wonderful, which is not the best, because he is a fantastic actor. I mean, the things that he's done is has been so amazing all of it. And he's always been such a fabulous character actor as well. So. Yeah, I really appreciated his storyline because when they first introduced him, I thought he they were setting him up to be the big bully in the movie. And mm. then it turns out he's mm-hmm. the one who befriends Keith in, in detention. And I really liked it. You know, it was a pleasant yeah. turn of events from what I expected. And, and actually, most of the minor characters in this film are great. The, the two sisters... I just, oh my gosh, the sisters. They're so, so fun in completely opposite ways. Uh-huh. They are, I really, yeah, I, I totally love them. I, I love the little sister at the table. Just her, her constant. You know, I don't think I've had a balanced meal here. I think I'm missing one of the important food groups. It's my pleasure. <laughs> She's really great uh, from the get-go. Mm. I mean, just so such a smart little girl. And I have to say that the older sister, gosh, it's she's really hard to love. I mean, she's got some great moments, but she's very hard to love. My God, she's so annoying. Until and so self-obsessed. Yeah, until the moment oh. though that she hears what Hardy's going to do, and she immediately runs to tell Keith. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, that redeemed oh, yeah. her for me because I thought I think it totally redeemed. Yeah, her. I think yep. in my notes I was like. Keith's sister is lame. <laughs> but then she did that, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yep, that's how I felt about her as well. And it's just, oh, it's just so crazy. The dad character is tough for me because I can see how driven he is. I think he did a good job. Um, it seemed very one level the entire time until their scene. You know, I think that that's the kind of scene that you wish that you could have with your father at some point. Um Mm. watching Keith finally get angry because he's always very one note. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He kind of like has tons of like emotions, but they tend to be very, very subdued. And mm. at that time I was like, is he, what's going to happen with it? Like, and he finally was just like, he finally stood up for himself. He finally spoke up. And I think it got to his dad, you know, and you could see that something happened in that scene. I I thought that that was a very well executed scene for what they had going on. I think I would have probably, I actually would have added a few more lines in there and then maybe do a little bit more of an arc because he seemed, the dad seemed to be totally okay with this, with all the money being spent at the end. And I was like, um, I'm not sure my dad would have been really into this at all. (laughs) But, um, and the, but I like, but I essentially I liked what they attempted to do in that scene. Yeah, uh, you guys have basically taken all of my favorite moments. So um, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll reiterate: uh, Duncan is the best, and I really did. I liked the family dynamic that we got out of this movie because you just don't often get families in teen movies. You don't get parents and siblings, and you don't get to see them 
you know, having breakfast together every day and that sort of thing. And so I, I really liked that family dynamic. Uh, like you said, I, I did find his dad to be a little bit problematic, but I thought there were more good things than bad things. And I really liked at the end when, you know, his dad is asking him, why, why should I let you get away with this? And Keith says, because you believe in me. And his dad just deflates at that moment. And he's like, you're right. I do. I trust you. You know, so go do what you're going to do. And I, I really liked that. I thought it was sweet. Yeah, I, I appreciated that as well, which I think, again, going back to how we started sort of this conversation and why why that date, right? Because then he goes out right. and he does the date. So that it is about something greater. You know, he is he is sort of stepping up for himself. He is he was making choices and these are you know sometimes again as teenagers when we get to make those big choices for the very first time it's kind of challenging to make them and sometimes we may not make the big choices that are the best big choices but it gives us the opportunity to kind of fail or to test out how to own and follow through when Mm -hmm. you make those choices so um Regardless, I feel that that's going to strengthen their relationship because the dad allowed him to go, you know, and do all the stuff. Yeah, and and I think another aspect that I really enjoyed in this film is the music aspect of it because again, that that soundtrack was on, you know, I was I played it all the time. All the time. Because I bought it, of course. <laughs> so all of those songs were so prevalent and so top of mind. And I remember that they did a really good job using a lot of the songs that aligned with the time frame at that at that mm. moment. So I really, I really enjoyed the music. I, am I right in saying that the soundtrack didn't have the Rolling Stones song Amanda Jones on it? You know what? I can't, I cannot remember if it did or not. But I remember I used to sing that all the time. So I can't. Do I have it? Um, I it I does it not. Thing, but... I'm looking at the list. Because, yeah, the, the, yeah the, the listing that I saw didn't have it. And I was just like, it has... wait, that's the point of her name. Yeah. Come it, on. It has a song <laughs> called Miss Amanda Jones, but it's by the March Violets. So maybe it's just a cover. Uh, maybe. Okay. I think it's like, it's the last. Or was there more than one? I think it's the last song. Oh, wait, wait, yeah. It's like they covered a couple of songs, I think. There's also, what is the wise men say oh can't help falling in love yeah mm. can't fall in love that one they covered it and i think that they covered miss amanda jones. <laughs> it's like they have a different take nice. on just it. just do the whole song go <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> oh can i share with you guys another way that i'm completely pop culturally deprived Oh yeah! When I heard the song Miss Amanda Jones, my first thought was, "Oh, this character has her own song." Because I had no idea it was a Rolling Stones song. (laughs) I was like, "That's amazing!" They wrote a song for her, and then I looked it up and was like, "Oh, (laughs) other way around." Oh, (laughs) and now it it does go into pop culture because you have to remember it's so funny how it all like morphs into something else again. Because I don't think this. The storyline for for this type of film or even John Hughes films at this moment would really stand too strongly as our society at this moment is at all. You know, there's something that was reflective of us or at least at least for of me when I was a, a teenager at that time. I don't know what generation that is, but um, that generation really resonated with a lot of, of the way that these stories were essentially almost exactly the same with slight variations uh, they always had the same conflicts, and most of them had to do with money, with class systems, and all of them, like in some way, evo- e- like really pushed forward the soundtrack. As I feel, it hadn't 
in the past mm. so that the generation at that moment, like the young people who really resonated with that, really took to the soundtracks like like they hadn't before. Uh, it, it was when music started to be used in this way, not necessarily like, um, you know, the, the big sweeping instrumentals, mm. but the ones that had lyrics to them and whatnot. They really popped in, like um, the kissing scene that they had inside of the, uh, when they were in, in, the, in the, what do you call it, fixing the cars and whatnot, mm. in the gas station or whatever. Like the way that that music is in the background in there, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I also watched the video a lot, and that was like a big scene for that song. And because it was so big, and, you know, my first interaction, I think now that I start to think back, my first interaction with that movie was that song uh, before I watched it. Okay. So, so then you only watch the video and you only watch that scene. And it's so well cut inside of, of the music that you, like, it means so much. You know, it's like, oh, my God, that scene again. But you don't have <laughs> no idea what it's right. about. And that was like, that, that is how they sold uh, mm. Some Kind of Wonderful. It was through that scene. I can see that. And it is a great scene. I mean, the, the kiss itself is a, a very good kiss. Um, you can, you yeah, can see there nice is chemistry one. between them. But just the build up to it, because you sort of, no, don't do this. Don't, what? No, <laughs> don't. You're only going to hurt yourself. <laughs> right. But then it is very hot. And I, I, I just love his reaction to it, where he's like, no, 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 no that, was, that was very nice. You're, pr- you're pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that there's yeah it's just that was such a wonderful wonderfully cut mm. um scene i think that i like the cut the, i like the cuts to their hands or like the small like where he grasps her legs or mm-hmm. her hips or something and like there's just all of those little things are real wonderful ways to see that it became a lot more than they either of them thought it would do mm-hmm. but the use of music i think in that is is really great and I think the music is what made it even more because the entire song crescendos at, at, at times, you know, so. I, I have one music thing that I want to comment on. Um, and this is something that will probably mean nothing to anyone except me and my dad. Um, <laughs> there's a bit where Watts has a couple of lines that are almost identical to a couple of lines from um, a Bob Dylan song. She says, Don't go mistaking paradise for a pair of long legs. What's that mean? Don't go roaming where you don't belong. It's just an opinion. The, the song, um, the ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, that the final verse is... Well, the moral of this story, the moral of this song, is simply that one should never be where one does not belong. So when you see your neighbour carrying something, help him with his load. And don't go mistaking paradise for that home across the road. And they're just, they're so similar. Like, John Hughes is not a sort of random writer who would crib off someone without knowing it would be picked up on or it would mean something. Right. And I can't decide whether it's like it's supposed to be a character thing about what's to tell us that she's got this sort of poetry of liking, you know, someone like Dylan. Or it's that they wanted to use that song, couldn't get the right, so he just wrote the lyrics in somewhere. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I mean, thinking back on it, I would think that Watts and her music in some way, mm. you know, discovered 
or had been, you know, doing that kind of stuff in there. I don't know. Maybe there's more of that. We just didn't yeah. catch it. Yeah. <laughs> He's got enough songs that it could all be from his songs and I wouldn't <laughs> notice. So Exactly. <laughs> the the strange thing when I was researching, because I thought, oh, maybe this is on the soundtrack or something and it's not. But the Bob Dylan website has a list of every time he's played every song ever because there are some oh real God. fanatics out there. Yeah. He wow. didn't start playing this song. So this song was written 20 years before the film, but he didn't start playing it until 1987 was when he started playing it live. Oh my gosh. And it's almost like... crazy. Did they remind him that it existed and is a a good song? (laughs) So he's like, oh, I'm going to play that next time. Wow. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah, who who knows? It was just just such a... And it's probably a crazy random happenstance rather than meaning anything. (laughs) Is there anything else that we need to discuss about Some Kind of Wonderful? You know, I would like to... uh, Do you guys ever ask the audience stuff? Oh, all the time. Yeah? Mm. Okay. I would like to know if there is a character that is like Watts that has come out again, that has that rugged, androgynous type of sense to her from the wrong side of the tracks, not fitting in kind of thing, where that has come out in some of the current sort of movies that are that are out nowadays. I'd like to see her embodied again. Yeah, way. I think that's a great question. And I'm trying mm. to think right now, but I'm everything I've watched recently has been really old because it's for the podcast. So <laughs> I right, don't know. Totally. Um, so you guys, if you're listening and no. you can give us some other uh, characters that are like Watts, let like, us know. Yeah, like the equivalent in, in our in the in the new generation, like, you know, like for fifth that would appeal to like teenagers nowadays that were like, oh, that you kind of aspire to that. Because I'm like, if it was like, pop culturally deprived kind of thing like I am so pop culturally deprived as well like I have no idea especially now what's happening in the world and like I'm trying to keep up I'm trying to figure out like what's happening because my little girls are way more informed than I am Mm. so I and then they're five they're like six and and nine so (laughs) so there's that um so I'm trying to find more out and essentially right now when it comes to movies like this it's like I'd love to I'd love to find that out. I love those characters. Uh, the one that's coming to mind is still 15 years old, um, but Kat from 10 Things I Hate About You. I, I was about to say, mm. can I guess who Mandy's going to say? Oh. And that was the one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she's different from Watts, but she's she's very similar in that she does her own thing. She doesn't do what anybody expects her to do. She doesn't do anything for the sake of just doing it or because it's cool. You know, she's she's very much her own person, and that's as close as I can think of, but that's also because I haven't been okay. watching teen movies since I was a teen a long time ago, so. I know. And, you know, watching, I mean, the couple that I have watched, I have to say that when you do watch some of the current teen movies versus these ones that you are seeing, the ones that are like, the ones that are a little bit more cleaned mm-hmm. up, you know, the ones that are more like on the PG side of things. The John Hughes movies are amazing. Okay. Let's just put it that yeah. way. <laughs> because nowadays you're like, oh my God. Like the subtle, that's why I think that that's why I'm so still in love with it because the subtlety of all of these, even even if even if Watts wasn't as written out in the way that you would want, the, the way that um, Mary Stuart Masterson like approached with very little script and to be able to be so subtle in the way that she presented herself and for it to be like all of the characters themselves, you could basically see who they were through just by looking at them, meaning there wasn't that much makeup on them. There was 
some, you know, obviously costume changes and things like that. But as of nowadays, the the focus on beauty and the way that everybody mm-hmm. looks like the the hair. I mean, everything is so perfect that it makes it not real. Like I I don't feel like I can watch these teen movies and right. see myself as a teenager like that because with Watts like she wasn't really wearing that much makeup. I mean, she put lipstick on and a little bit of eyelash, you know, like whatever, eye stuff like when she went out for the last date. But the most part though, she was like it was clear face. And even Amanda, she, you know, she put some makeup on, but she didn't really look like she did herself up that right. much. Um, but nowadays you're like contours and lip liner and lashes and I mean, and hair. Yeah. I mean, oh my goodness. Like Mean Girls and stuff like that. When you watch something like Mean Girls mm. and you see the level of makeup. Yeah, I think teen, <laughs> teen movies insane. right now are, are very high maintenance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. The one that I can think of from a recent film and, and it's kind of funny because it is called basically a modern John Hughes film, is Spider-Man Homecoming. There's a character in that called oh. Michelle who is this sort of thing. She's very smart but very aloof from everyone else and, and dresses in this, like you say, sort of tomboy, slightly androgynous style. But I can't remember much more about her because she's not a significant character in this film, but it is implied she will be. Because the next one is blatantly going to be Spider-Man Sadie Hopkins dance. Um, and oh. presumably she'll be in that or something. Okay. Oh, look at that. All right, I'm going to check that out. I have to have some of these films in my that's, in my. That's bag. the one that's coming to mind. There, there are characters in things like The Fast and the Furious who might be equivalent, but I'm not sure I'd call them teen mm, films. No. Um, yeah. I mean, blatantly they are appealing to teens, but I'm not sure I'd let them see some of them because they're horrifically violent. <laughs> yeah, that's a little, a little yeah. crazy. Not for your six-year-old anyway. The nine-year-old maybe. <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly okay Elsie uh, other than obviously John Hughes films which I think are your big recommendations do you have any films that you think are uh, worthy of Mandy's list things that she might not have seen and are, are, are definite must sees did I see I mean this is the only one that can this is another one of my favorites um, I don't know did you did you watch The Mission already no I had actually never heard of it until uh, you mentioned it when we started talking about uh, movies to watch so it's you know it's been coming up a lot for me again. It's well, yeah, that movie blew my mind. In fact, oh my gosh, that's another one of my all-time favorite movies. And again, I think it has to do with when I okay. watched it as well because there was a a, a sense of like, whoa, um, I was in, deeply impacted by that film. Yeah, the mission is um, by far, I think, one of the ones that I would love to watch again. And I, I, it's one of those things where I have to be ready to kind of sit through this to watch it again because it's it was that meaningful to me when I did watch it emotionally. But I think again, because sometimes it's so it's so hard for me to watch certain films with a critical eye. A lot of the time, I like to be immersed mm-hmm. in the story, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's been a while since I have watched the mission but I do remember when I came out of it just like with some kind of wonderful there was a shift of my perspective and there was so much um and especially right now the themes of that movie uh especially with the work that I'm doing in the world and things that seem to be coming up over and over as themes as of human of humanity I feel it's a necessary film to watch if and only for the themes of the movie, the overarching themes of what it represents. Okay, that's definitely a high recommendation. I, I feel like 
I looked it up and realized I'd, I'd never heard of it. I didn't even know that it was a movie that existed. And I feel like it it seemed like it might be an intense movie. It is. Okay. All right. Uh, at least it, it is intense. It's not one of like those things that you're like, hey, let's just go get some entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah, there are some things that come, and also the 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 oh my gosh, the this again. Speaking of soundtracks, the soundtrack of that movie is one of the best that I've ever heard, and I think the opening shot by itself, even if you don't watch anything else, the opening shot is perhaps one of the most beautiful shots I have ever seen in a movie. Okay, and it's stunning. Great. Yeah. Okay, I think it got recommended when we did um, Schindler's List because of the Liam Neeson connection. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah so yeah. so when we're, when we're ready for okay. another intense film like that then perhaps that's uh, uh, the one to revisit. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Elsie, it has been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on with oh, us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad. Where can people find you on social media and find your work? You could just find me uh, using the handle yogeek at this moment. It's y o g e e k and from there you can essentially follow me and all the different things that I do. And of course, I run the social media for Libsyn as well. So if you follow at L-I-B-S-Y-N, you could also find me there because I'm essentially the voice, but you won't really know that because I try not to be me. I try to be neutral, <laughs> but that's me too. So I, th- I think your enthusiasm comes out in everything. We, we love being hosted by Libsyn because j- just the support Yay. you give and, and the, the podcast that you do on the feed, it's just, it's so useful, but so fun. So... Thank you very much, and thank thank you for joining us. Of course, it was my pleasure. So uh, we want to talk a bit about some listener feedback. Uh, We have had a lot of discussion since our Thelma and Louise episode came out. Uh, We had some really interesting comments from Kate, at Katie Sheru. Two two different points to make. First, her Michael Madsen, yes please, wasn't an endorsement of Jimmy as any kind of great guy. It was rather shallower than that. And yeah, that that's largely my reaction to the Brad Pitt character. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like totally I said, get not it. looking to marry him. <laughs> <laughs> she also asked a question about our view of the ending um, and who gets to decide when the end of a story is. Thelma and Louise, as a story, ends with a freeze frame. They had escaped; they were free. Do we have to carry on their minds to the logical conclusion of their actions, and then is that the end? I think we had a really great discussion about this on Twitter. So if you mm. uh, want to follow me at Mandy K on Twitter or at Katie Sheru, you can go back and kind of see the whole thing because several other folks jumped in as well. And we had folks coming from both sides. And I think we never came to a consensus on what the answer is. Everybody just kind of has their own. Uh, we also had a comment from Jazzy at Jawsbot7. She said, I still feel like I understand and somehow agree with all three different directions from which you three approach the movie, but I still feel like I'm most on board with Mandy Kay and that it, the movie, left me feeling a little flat. Then again, I'm all Monomish and still have this warped sense of justice, so I spent the last two minutes of the movie just yelling at them to stop and go explain calmly what happened to the cops. They'll understand. It'll all work out. And I'm right there with you. I mean, because that. That's really where I wanted it to go. I mean, when Allie asked me how I would prefer the movie to end, that's basically what I said. I wanted them to be caught but not get in trouble. You know, that that would be my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think that Thelma and Louise is a movie that brings out a lot of strong feelings from everybody who watches it. And we don't all have to agree. And I really really appreciated the conversations that we all had with everybody because you guys are just 
you're really nice and and you don't yell at people who have opinions that are different than your own and it just makes our community really fun to be a part of because you know when feelings get this intense it can be really easy to get offended or upset when somebody disagrees with you and that didn't happen in this conversation and I just I really appreciated that yeah I would I would thoroughly agree there's no piling on it is an actual discussion which is fabulous yep. David Tennant is not the best doctor and Monty Python's an amazing film I do just want to say that <laughs> and Superman the movie is terrible so yeah Matthew and I completely embody this <laughs> and there are so many ways that you can get in touch with us if you want to give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed or if you just want to tell us how wrong we are in our opinions you can use the hashtag PC deprived on Twitter you can find us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at eloquent gushing if you'd like the opportunity to actually talk back to us and record us a message you can go to speakpipe.com slash eloquent gushing and you can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. We are 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Any amount you can give helps to support the network and grow the content and develop new shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to subscribe to the weekly newsletter, which gives you news and announcements about what's coming up, what we're doing polls on, and the episodes that are about to come out. There's a link to subscribe on eloquentgushing.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Blade Runner with Joshua Unruh of Pulp Diction Productions. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And exposing your skin to sunlight will make you old before your time. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.